pull back them dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Help bellboy come and get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of Meryl Streep in the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. I'm Zachary Scott Johnson. Sorry for the delay on this episode. It was entirely my fault. We actually recorded it a few weeks ago, and I just hadn't had time to edit it, so I apologize for the delay. We also have a little bit of discussion that's a couple of weeks old now, near the beginning of the episode, but you'll be able to follow along and do just fine. If you haven't already, uh, we had the opportunity to interview Kramer versus Kramer director Robert Benton, and it was the previous episode to this one. So if you haven't already listened to our interview with the great Robert Benton, I encourage you to go check that out. It was fantastic to talk to him. So much fun. So this episode, we do, in fact, review the 1979 classic that brought Meryl her first Academy Award, Kramer versus Kramer. Meryl made us an Instagram account. If you search Meryl Street Podcast on Instagram, you can find us there. Please do. As always, I invite you to check out my YouTube project, The Song A Day Project. I also just started season two of my other podcast, The Joni Mitchell Podcast, for any Joni fans out there. Please also check out Meryl's theater company, NeverlandTheaterCompany.com. We are ready to start the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to a new episode of Meryl Streep in the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you this afternoon, Meryl McNally? I am very good. How are you, Zach? I'm good. I'm sick again. I just got back from Ireland and was on was walking around in cold, rainy Ireland for, for a week and then got on a plane, which is never a good combination for getting cold. So I think I was sick Ew. last time we taped, like three weeks ago. And then I was fine, yeah. and now I'm back to sick. But I'm I'm okay. I just have a bad cold. How are you? What have you been up to? I'm good. I have um, I opened a new law office, so I've been doing that oh. and got situated. That's huge. So that was yeah, yeah. Well, and I've been I've been out on my own for about a year, but I right. I, I now have a partner, and he's fantastic, and we've opened up a new office. So we were, you know. Turns out there's a lot of lot of small stuff, <laughs> like you know, internet and phones. Right. Yeah, I uh, remember I asked you last time whether it was worse to open a law firm or a show. I remember, <laughs> um, but no, but that's exciting. Oh, Congratulations. Yeah. That's really. Yeah. Well, and you need to tell everybody about Ireland. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Okay. Well, let's see. How is the, what is the short version of this? Um, I do. <laughs> I do a YouTube thing called The Song A Day Project. We've talked about it on episodes, but I guess it's been a while since we talked about it. Uh, And I do a song a day every day. And about a month ago, it hit five years that it's been going. And so earlier this summer, I got an email out of the blue from from somebody claiming to be Donovan. And I say somebody claiming to be because I really didn't think it was him. Uh, The the Rock and Roll Hall of Famer (laughs) folk legend Donovan wrote me. And was asking about the Song a Day project, and uh, uh, 
he says he didn't know uh, when he asked, but the very first day that I ever did five years ago uh, was a Donovan song that I did. I, I do a song of his called Catch the Wind. And for years, I've been opening every show that I do with that song. It's just a song of his that I love so much. And so he asked about about doing a song I have guests on all the time. And, and he asked about doing one. And he asked if I ever recorded these in Ireland. And... I didn't think much of it. In fact, I didn't respond to the email because I didn't believe it was him. And um, I thought if it was him, I thought, you know, what am I going to say to Donovan? Like, I, I couldn't think. I was going to respond eventually, but I didn't. I hadn't round to it. And like three weeks later, I got a, another thing. I can't remember if it was a phone call or an email from his manager saying that he'd been talking about it a lot. And just thought it was really cool that I started this thing with one of his songs and I was still going and it was five years later. And so what he he was playing a festival in Cork, Ireland, and he was interested in flying me over to play there with him and record the same song that I'd done five years ago uh, in front of an audience. And so we did. He flew me over to Ireland and I spent a week there, sometimes with him, sometimes not. And... Uh, my wife Megan came, and we had a really good time. So we it, it was just the craziest thing probably that's ever happened to me was some, you know, this really iconic person just decided to fly me halfway around the world just to sing a song with him. And uh, But it was great. We had such a good time. It was just so unexpected and unbelievably generous. I mean, that kind of crazy kind of generosity you know i mean to put to put us up in yeah. a hotel for a nice hotel for a week and bring us i don't know it was just so it was so extravagant and so kind-hearted and he was just so great we also got a lot of time with him which i really appreciated you know sometimes with um with guests on this thing like you get to meet them and that's fun and you know you get to like talk for a minute you know but we got a lot of time yeah. we got to do like meals with him and stuff so it was great um, it's <laughs> such a cool experience once in a lifetime once in a lifetime for sure I can't imagine that will ever happen to me again so um, so yeah that's what I've been up to and that's why my voice is shot today <laughs> but um, <coughs> <laughs> but speaking of famous people you and I got to speak to Robert Benton the director of Kramer oh! versus Kramer a couple weeks ago guys it was so cool he was so amazing and so brilliant and so gracious and funny he was really funny so funny yeah that was yeah, really he cool was a total joy to speak to yeah uh, so he's the director of kramer versus kramer which is the movie we're talking about today he's also the director of still of the night which is uh our next movie we're gonna just knock out the robert benton double feature um so yeah, we'll, we'll kind of talk about some of the stuff. You heard the interview, but we'll, uh, there, there were a few other things that we talked about that we had to cut out uh, the interview just for, for a few reasons. And we won't spill those secrets, but we have some, we have some information. You know? And it was, it was interesting to, to get both confirmation on some of the rumors and also hear that some of the rumors about this movie were not true, in particular um, in regards to Meryl Streep's casting. There is a lot of information right. out there on the internet about her casting and uh, turned out really from his perspective to not be true. So, but before we get into our main feature, there are maybe two things we're going to start. First of all, have you been watching anything since we last talked, anything that you would give a thumbs up or thumbs down to? Yeah. Um, I, I've watched, I've watched quite a bit that I would recommend that everybody stop and watch the new documentary on Steven Spielberg on HBO. 
Oh, I'm dying to see that. Didn't that just go it's on last night? Really good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, two nights ago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I watched it. I watched it Saturday night. I think it's um it's so good. You know, I have you know I wouldn't call it a complaint, but one of the things I've mentioned on the podcast about Spielberg and directors like Spielberg and Stacey is that I feel like in their position of power they have a, a duty to tell certain kinds of stories and I haven't seen that from those guys and um, this was a really interesting window into why Oh, okay. and um, yeah and I, I have a lot of respect for the things he said and the way he's approached his career and it's, it's, it's a very good documentary I highly recommend it to everybody well, He's honest cool. about a lot of stuff. Cool. I'm really glad they went there. I didn't expect that they would. It's it's like um, he goes there. He goes there more in terms of recognizing like where what his early work. Um, he knows his limitations. Let me put it that way. And he sees he sees the limitations he had when he was younger and how he's grown, and um, you know what he's tried to do with the stories he tells over the years. So it's a it's a really clear perspective. It's really fascinating. Interesting. I just assumed because you know we talked a few episodes ago about the um, Elizabeth Banks. You know she was in a little bit of hot water for kind of taking him to task publicly. Um, but I am yes. sure this was completed before that all happened because that wasn't that long ago. So I figured this would not be a thing in the documentary. No, it's not. They don't talk about it at all. They talk about, um, they really address his, um, it's basically his career trajectory. And um, one thing they deal with a lot is how he wasn't really, he was kind of like J.J. Abrams in his youth and that, you know, he wasn't really respected as an artist. He was always looked at as a commercial filmmaker. Huh. And it wasn't really until after um, after Schindler's List that that really shifted for him. And so it's really interesting to hear him speak about that. Okay, cool. Because he wasn't, I mean, he, he wasn't always as highly respected in the industry. I mean, everyone knew he was really good. Right. Um, but, he, but not as an artist, you know? Yeah. And that took him some time. Yeah, it's fascinating. I, I really recommend it. It will make you want to go back and watch all of it. Which I actually do. I, I pretty much everything in his canon is stuff that I revisit, you know, a lot. Yeah. Speaking of Spielberg, I've meant to bring this up the last couple episodes. Uh, you know, he's he's making a movie or finished making a movie with Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks that we've been uh, talking yeah. about every single episode, how excited we are. And that hasn't changed. But, you know, what has changed is the title. Um, so do you know this? Have you seen this? So it, I'm 90% certain that when I saw that the, the very first time that I saw that this movie was going to be made, I saw that the word post was involved. And I know the story is about the yeah. Washington Post. And yeah. so I thought the movie was called The Post. And then it changed to The Papers. Well, now it's gone back to The yeah. Post. So it's yeah, now called The Post. I read on um, on Vulture that he did. They interviewed the screenwriter, and they, she's um, she's she's worked in in the industry for a while. But I think she's the first time. I think it was her screenplay. She's the first time screenwriter, and um, that's a great article. Look it up. Um, she she really she 
talking about how surreal it is to get a phone call that Steven Spielberg wants to direct your screenplay. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it's a female uh, screenwriter. I guess I hadn't known that. Yeah. Liz Hanna. Her name is Liz Hanna. And then they brought in, I think, Josh, Josh Singer. Oh, okay. Cool. Well, I'm glad that the documentary was good. I've been curious about that. I, I want to I wanna check that out. So hopefully there's a way for those of us without uh, an HBO subscription. There's always a way, right? But we'll find, we'll find a way. But um, so yeah. I actually went to see uh, two movies in the theater a couple weeks ago, actually. It was probably right after we talked. Um, okay. Did you have other ones that you wanted to talk about? Sorry, I didn't mean to. No, not, okay. not that I can think of off the top of my head, no. Um, I actually saw a whole bunch of stuff on the plane rides, both there and back, because they're like 10-hour plane rides. And because it's international, they actually still showed movies on the plane. There were like, you know, 50 movies you could choose from. And actually, a lot of it was really current stuff. They had the new King Kong. They had the, like, newest Fast and the Furious. Yeah. They had the house. They had all sorts of, like, new stuff. Uh, but, you know, it was all edited down airplane stuff. So I won't talk about that, but I did see two things in the theater. Um, it was a double feature for me. I went to see it, the Stephen King one, uh, which is not normal. You see, I don't mind horror movies, but I was really curious about this one. And I have to say, I really enjoyed it. I, I really did. That movie is like huge. I know it's like making crazy money and everybody's going to see it, but, um, yeah, I found it to be really memorable, really quotable. I keep doing the clown. <laughs> Megan is really angry at me for continuing to do the clown voice. But um, the clown in the movie kind of sounds like one of the Muppets or something. You know, he's like, Georgie. Um, so I saw that. And then I went to see after that, I went to see Mother with uh, Jennifer Lawrence, which... Oh, yeah. That How one, oh God, I don't know. Um, I don't know what to say about this movie, which I think is a common response to it. I think everybody who goes to this movie is saying, what the hell was that? And it's not necessarily a bad thing to be feeling like that, but it's, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a movie in the theater that I had that reaction to where I was just like, what in the world was that? I don't know if I liked it. I don't know if I hated it. I don't know what it means. I don't know, you know, like it's so intense and it's so, yeah. um, I mean, it's, it's Darren Aronofsky. Who's the same guy who did black right. swan and requiem for a dream. So, you know, we know that this is not going to be, you know, light, but oh, right. God, it is such a, it's so intense. The The first like hour of the movie, there's like three or four people in the whole thing. It's Jennifer Lawrence, Javier Bardem, Ed Harris, and Michelle Pfeiffer. And they like have the whole first hour of the movie. And I really loved that first hour. I was like, well, this could be a play. You know, it's just like four people, one set. Yeah. And, and then things go absolutely bonkers about an hour in. Oh, God. Um, I'm not really speaking intelligently on this. I don't know how to speak intelligently on this because it was just so... Wild. You know, if you read the reviews, I, I mean, they're not much more articulate. I don't know I, what I we're mean, supposed to make of this movie. I think that's everybody's sort of general opinion. They're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't read any reviews of it, actually. I should have done that. Um, but I think it's just, um, 
the thing that, again, I know I talked about this, I think in our last episode, The Homesman, I talked about the same thing where I talked about my trigger. One of my big triggers is being like the sound of people in pain and the people of, of, you know, the sound of people suffering. And the last hour of the movie is so intensely that, that this is not a movie. I can't imagine anybody saying like, oh, I enjoyed this movie. It was such a good time. Um, and that's, again, not a criticism because it's not supposed to be enjoyed in that way. Um, but it's just so hard to watch at a certain point. And, yeah. you know, I think maybe the only thing that throws me off about it is like, as an audience member, I felt so, you know, a thousand percent in Jennifer Lawrence's character's, you know, shoes, which is maybe the point, you know, like everything that happens to her, you feel like is almost happening to you in the sense that like you want to scream at the other characters and go, what are you doing? Which is what she's doing in the movie. And so you're so like firmly, there's no gray area. Like you never get like, oh, I get his perspective on this too. There's no back and forth. You're just like really firmly planted in her character's uh, you know, uh, experience. And I don't know. I can't remember the last time that yeah. I felt that way about a movie where it was just like, you just wanted to punch everybody else and go, what is wrong with you? But literally every other character besides Jennifer Lawrence, you want to punch in the face. Um, and I'm not a violent person, Yikes. but <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's really hard to, I don't know. I, I would recommend seeing it. And actually it might, it might be one of those movies to see in the theater because I think I'm sure what Aronofsky wants is for you to be immersed in this story. And this is a movie that would be easy to kind of have going, you know, on DVD or something and, and tune out because it's not a pleasurable experience. Uh, and so if you can kind of, right. if you can make yourself do it, this is how, he wants you to watch the movie and you know, it's up to you whether or not that sounds appealing to you, but um, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. It's crazy. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know when I'll venture to that one. I've, I've, um, I've enjoyed it. I, I really, you know, like Darren Aronofsky's films. They're, they're usually something I watch once because they aren't necessarily the most enjoyable. Right. Uh, experiences. <laughs> They're pretty And he's pretty good about, you know, we spent some time talking about Spielberg, but really, again, you know, if you think about the last couple movies that he's made, we've got this one, which is a hell of a part for Jennifer Lawrence, Black Swan, which was a great role for Natalie Portman, Requiem for a Dream oh, yeah. was great for Jennifer Connelly, you know, like he's, he's kind of, he's doing some good work with, I, I know I'm missing yeah. other ones. He's done other things. I know that I'm kind of skipping over, but, um, you know, let's give him some credit for, for writing and, uh, well, not writing, but um, does he write his movies? But Darren Aronofsky did, let's see, he did Noah, The Wrestler, Oh yeah. Falcon, uh, Requiem for a Dream, Pi, I remember Pi from 98. I do too. Um, so this is the films he's directed. He wrote Mother, he wrote Noah, The Fountain, and Muffin for a Dream, and Pie, yeah. Okay, so he does. Well, good. That's a pretty good yeah. track record still, you know? Um, yeah. Wait, so he didn't do Black Swan? Who am I thinking of? Who did Black Swan He then? didn't write. He directed it. He didn't write it. Oh, okay, okay. All right, cool. Well, anyway, I don't know if that's, I don't know what people will make of that uh, 
middling recommendation. That's a that's the uh, quantified if you think you can take it recommendation. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, I don't know. I, it's it's like you say. I'm not sure that I'll watch that movie again. But um, that's not to say it was a bad. In fact, the performances were all uniformly. I would say inarguably good like I can't imagine anybody looking at these performances and saying that was a bad performance or and direction was great in it too it's just the story is so bonkers that you're kind of like you're either in or you're out and um yeah. I think that's fair to feel either way but fascinating so should we move on to I'm just uh, curious about it yeah yeah, yeah. okay so there's some um, Crazy, well, not crazy news. Pe- some people knew that this was coming. Um, there is some crazy yeah. news. Harvey Weinstein uh, from the Weinstein Corporation going back, you know, to the Miramax stuff. All the prestige movies is now maybe the most hated guy in Hollywood. And I'm going to go ahead and say rightfully so, because uh, it's... It's not really being refuted. He's pretty much owning up to, yeah, I was a scumbag. Not that that makes it any better. In fact, that doesn't make it any better at all. But um, yeah, so Harvey Weinstein is is now pretty public knowledge, has been accused of sexually assaulting many women, having paid off, what is it, eight women, something like that, over the years, yeah. and the scandal has broken. So... So it's it's been an open secret in in the industry for a long time that he that he does this so much so that I knew about it long before these stories broke um, because uh, women have spoken out without naming him but have given enough information that people who are listening have been able to piece it together and I don't think anybody knew the scope of what he was doing but I think everybody assumed. Um, and if you haven't read the New York Times article uh, about Harvey Weinstein and the accusations and the, and the memo and the information taken from several, numerous employees of the, Wein, the Weinstein company, um, go read it. Um, it's, it's worth a read. And then if you have time and you're interested, start reading the think pieces on it because a lot of people have stuff to say about why he's been able to get away with this for 30 years and the culture the culture and nature of the industry, particularly for women right. and the power structure. It happens all the time, and Harvey Weinstein is a big name, and he's had a lot of power over the years, um, but he, he is not the only one doing it. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I, it's, it's very interesting to me that you, that you knew about it. And there are a lot of other people who say exactly what you're saying, that this was a secret, not even a particularly well-kept secret. Um, I had no clue. I'm not in the industry, so it's not surprising in any way, shape or form that I didn't know. Um, and I have to say that this is such a massive bummer for so many reasons. And, I know. um, I am struggling to find a silver lining, but I think I have one, which is that I haven't seen a single thing questioning whether he did or didn't do it. This is maybe the first time. So, you know, when we look back... Um, well, he's suing the New York Times. Is he? For printing false, false uh, 
false accusations, yeah, without checking their sources. Yeah. So while he has, quote-unquote, taken responsibility, if you read between the lines, what he's actually taking responsibility for is his temper. He's saying, yes, I've lost my temper. I come from the, the 60s um, where that kind of behavior was acceptable and I have a lot to learn. And, but right. in terms of the sexual harassment, he's not taking responsibility whatsoever, right. uh, to my knowledge, to date. And um, he is doing New York Times. Okay. Well, for, for printing facts, yeah. Yeah, I've got I've got two things on that. First of all, that response is bullshit. Um, the idea yeah. that you can blame a culture from the '60s and say you never evolved. Sorry, it, it, it doesn't work like that anymore. We're, we've it's it is our responsibility to evolve at this point, and uh, there is I, I just don't. I, I'm not even going to say any more on that. That's just bullshit. Uh, the second thing is. Um, I guess what I mean is from somebody besides him, uh, I, I haven't heard anything questioning it. And what I mean by that basically is that everything that I've seen has, has taken the women who have accused him at his word. And that is something that is, from my perspective, should always happen. But unfortunately, it doesn't always happen. And so to me, it's gratifying that it seems to be happening so far in this particular case. Yeah, I think you're right. Besides Hart and everybody else is accepting it as fact. You're correct. Right. I read a fascinating piece by a journalist who had interviewed him, I want to say it was in the 90s, and he lost his temper with her. And um, uh, called her called her a cunt. And her, her boyfriend happened to be there at the time, was also a journalist or a photographer, I can't remember, and interjected. And he, she, he threw her boyfriend down the stairs. Oh. And she said there were hundreds of photo- photographers present. Um, I mean, it was at a press conference uh, for, for, you know, one of the press drugs and movies. So many people were present and witnessed it, and it still got put out to the public like a journalist went nuts on Harvey Weinstein. Wow. I mean, that's how much power this guy has, right? Right, right. Um, I, I mean, he could hush up an entire an entire sea of witnesses the money and power he had so it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that he's gotten away with it as long as he has it doesn't surprise me either it like i say it bums me out and like you say this is also as far as i'm concerned a strong indicator that he is not at all the only one you know he's he's probably a drop in the bucket it's just so easy like you have meetings i had a meeting with a producer it was at his house Right. Nothing happened. She was perfectly fine. But that, I mean, that's how it goes in that industry. Like, you go to meet, you know, it's, it's a well-known, respected producer. Why wouldn't you go? Right. Why wouldn't you go to the meeting? That same producer um, totally made advances on my sister. Wow. Yeah. It ha- it ha- it's so casual, too. And it's so insidious. It just kind of happens. And you, um, in a lot of cases, you can just sort of verbally back it down and you just kind of you know, you set it aside as a woman and you, you kind of don't think about the grand scheme of things of how wrong it is. Yeah, the power dynamics, they're real. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is a bummer. Um, so Meryl Streep has, has worked with him a few times. Uh, August Osage County, um, The Iron Lady, uh, a few others as well. And so she released a statement. Um, I have this statement in front of me, which I can read. Unless, Do you have it in front yes, of you? Yes, please. Um, Okay. 
it says I have pieces of it, but go ahead and read it. Yeah, I have the whole thing right here. Um, it says it's it's basically one long paragraph here. So it says the disgraceful news about Harvey Weinstein has appalled those of us whose work he champ whose work he championed and those whose good and worthy causes he supported. The intrepid women who raise their voices to expose this abuse are our heroes. One thing can be clarified. Not everybody knew. Harvey supported the work fiercely, was exasperating but respectful with me in our working relationship, and with many others with whom he worked professionally. I didn't know about these other offenses. I did not know about his financial settlements with actresses and colleagues. I did not know about his having meetings in his hotel room, his bathroom, or other inappropriate coercive acts. And if everybody knew, I don't believe that all the investigative reporters in the entertainment and the hard news media would have neglected for decades to write about it. The behavior is inexcusable, but the abuse of power familiar. Each brave voice that is raised, heard, and credited by our watchdog media will ultimately change the game. So that's that's the entire quote. Um, do you have any uh, thoughts on that? Um, I absolutely believe her when she says she she didn't know. I do of too. She wouldn't. I and mean, she's at the top. She's at the top of the pyramid. And the, these were, I'm, I mean, for the most part, these are people who are trying to move up to the pyramid. You know, there, there's no reason for her to know. I believe her absolutely. I do, um, too. I think she puts too much faith in in the media <laughs> because they're, uh, I mean, in many ways, they're an economic machine, too, particularly with regard to Hollywood. And he, he, had, he exercised so much control over Hollywood media, um, so much power that there was no way that they could report on it. People have known for years and have been looking into it decades. They've known for decades. People are coming out now and saying, I was a journalist then. I knew about this. I never even considered writing about it. They knew they were going to get shut down. Right. Um, and, yeah, I, I think it would be terrible to be in Meryl Streep's shoes in a situation like this because you feel that you've been made a fool of. You know, Harvey Weinstein put so much money and energy and time and a public face into supporting women's issues right. and women's rights. And, um, and you know, have this come out has got to feel very betraying for people who work with him. Right. Well, that's kind of what I mean. I respect him. Right. That's kind of what I mean by for the many, many reasons that this is a bummer and the most obvious are the ones that we're talking about, of course, the victims of this. But, um, you know, the people whose work he championed were people like Meryl Streep and Judi Dench and Helen Mirren, you know, like really the cream of of the crop. And you're exactly right. There's no reason that any of these women would have known because they're not the ones who would have encountered this. You know what I mean? I'm sure... They're A-list actresses. His behavior with them is going yeah. to be different. And, you know, there, there's speculation, of course, of like the younger people who he's championed to, Jennifer Lawrence and, you know, all sorts of people. We don't even need to name names necessarily. But like, I don't even necessarily know that they knew. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe not. And really, like only really those two people will ever know. But it's it's really a shame to me that it's being equated um you know, a lot of it's really interesting. I don't mean to make this political, but you know, with with 
Donald Trump supporters right now, they feel like they have some ammunition because this is a man who's given to some liberal causes and has stood by some pretty outspoken liberal actors and actresses. And, and they're saying, well, you know, now we know he's just like, you know, he's everything that you said Trump was. And that's not really the point. Like, you know, we don't... Like that. That doesn't make it better. Right. You know, people, here's the bottom line. People on the right should not be saying your guy is doing it too. He's just as bad. So you're just as bad. People on the left shouldn't be saying, well, the president is just as bad. We should collectively say this is not acceptable from anybody. And, you know, that's the answer here is not pointing at the other guy and saying, well, they did it too. It's saying we collectively are not going to stand for this anymore. And I think sexual harassment is not red or blue. Right. And I think, I think this, uh, this goes back to hopefully the only silver lining in this situation is I think maybe there are some real seeds of change going because this is again, the first time where I, I mean, even going back to the Bill Cosby thing, you know, when, when that story broke, there was a period of time. I know it's hard to remember because, you know, now we know exactly how guilty he is, but there was a period of time when that story broke where there was doubt being cast on the victims. And that's been the way the game was played for really up until now. And it's heartening to me that that's not really happening this time that everybody is pretty uniformly saying i believe the women i think that's good yeah i i think i think the next um the next thing to really look at in hollywood um is children as well the the abuse that goes on towards children in that industry with the imbalance of power is severe i mean there have been accusations against brian singer right years and years about him grooming and molesting kids and um you know who has a pocket right these kids have have no voice and um you know in many cases their lives have been utterly ruined yeah and they don't have a voice they're sitting in a room screaming and nobody's listening the mute button's on and i and i think a lot of that happens with minorities and women as well in Hollywood. It's a tough, it's a really, really tough business. Yeah. I'm um, with you. Because it's just not regulated the way it needs to be regulated. Well, this is going to be an interesting story to see it evolve. This is going to, you know, to again bring it down to uh, something that in the scheme of things is pretty meaningless now. It's going to change the Oscar race this year, if nothing else, right? Um, oh, yeah. It's going to change a lot. So, um well, you know what's interesting? You know, he had hired Lisa Bloom to, um, you know, who's who's famous for representing victims and doing crisis control um, uh, for, for, for victims. And all of a sudden, she's on Harvey Weinstein's team, and everybody was really questioned that. Well, I guess they auctioned her book back in March. <laughs> and so she's been working with him since then, and then she stepped off his team, from what I heard. So, um, you know, also his board of directors and his brother, the New York Times seems to be, you know, um, implying that um, everything was above board, you know, that they were concerned about this stuff, but it was dealt with before it needed to be investigated. And I just, I don't buy that at all. Um, There's obviously long-term knowledge by many people and complacency by many people who let him get away with this for so long. And, uh, you know, while it's not 
you know, his behavior is his responsibility, but, you know, the board of directors yeah. had a responsibility as well. Yeah. And, yeah. There's I more. Don't know. We'll see. I'm interested to see the New Yorker piece. Ronan Farrow's been working on the New Yorker piece. I don't think it's out yet. And, you know, he, um, I'm sure it's very personal for him. Right. And his story. So. Yeah. Um, on a side note, uh, I've been listening yeah. to Mia Farrow's audiobook um, lately, which is very oh. interesting. So, um, I'd, I'd encourage, I can't remember what it's called right now, but um, it's good. She only wrote one, one autobiography, and it's really good. So anyway, um, well, this is, a, this is a good transition to another kind of court case, because that's probably where this is going. And uh, we'll, we'll, keep, yeah. we'll keep our eyes on this story, and we'll keep talking about it as, as things develop. But let's talk about Kramer versus Kramer, which is a totally different yeah. kind of court case. So... Uh, let's see, 1979, this movie was a pretty yeah. big deal. Um, how was it for you revisiting this movie? Oh, so good. It was, it was as good as I remember. It was so nice to rewatch it and revisit it and, and absorb things that, um, you know, I either didn't remember or didn't process the first, you know, when I first saw it because I was so young. But it was amazing. It was amazing to resonate still, but to how it's, also very much a product of its time. I, I don't think it could be written now the way it was written then um, and be considered, you know, politically correct or acceptable. Yeah, it is kind of interesting um, looking at uh, the kind of gender situations in this movie. I don't know how to say that any better. Um, yeah. It, it is interesting to see how this all kind of shook out, but... Um, yeah. Let me give a quick plot synopsis. Yeah, that'd be great. So Robert Robert Benton wrote and directed the screenplay, and it's about um, it's about a couple who um, living in Manhattan. The husband is an advertising executive or an art director of some sort, and um, Justin Hoffman, Meryl Streep's his wife. And at the very beginning of the movie, she is very unhappy, and she leaves them. And she leaves their young son with Dustin Hoffman to care for him. And the film really deals with how he handles being a single father uh, first half of the film. And then she comes back seeking, seeking custody. And it goes into um, their custody battle over their son and, and what it means to, basically what it means to be a parent. Right. So. Uh, you think that's pretty good? What, that was good. Yeah, that was great. Um, it was the book. It was based on a novel, and the book was really written as a response to um, this feminist concept that, um, I don't even know if it's a feminist concept. It was a response to feminism at the time to say, you know, men are men are just as capable of parenting, right. I think was a large part of the message. Right. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting to be talking about this with a you know I would consider us to be a um, a feminist podcast and in a lot yeah. of ways in a lot of ways I don't think this movie is a feminist movie. Um, it's not anti-feminist, but it's it's the idea. No. It's it's exactly what you were saying is the kind of through the the thesis maybe statement or argument of the movie is it's not always the woman who's going to be the better parent just. Uh, based on the fact that she's a woman, you know what I mean? Like it's, it, right. it, there's more to it than that. 
and uh, so yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting movie in that in that regard, and that's probably why, like you say, it would it would have a hard time finding traction if it were being made today. It reminds me a little bit, um, although it's a harder movie to watch. Um, I think it's called. Have you ever seen Disclosure? That movie with uh, Michael Douglas oh, yeah. and Demi Moore. I find that movie yeah. really, really hard to watch, actually. Um, yeah. But it's a similar thing where it's it deals with uh, you know uh, somebody who's a man who's accused of sexual assault, but he didn't actually sexually assault. You know, she's she's kind of making it up, and right. because she can. And uh, it's that kind of, you know, just because they're accused, are they guilty kind of thing. And um, yeah, there's there's a lot going on here, but it's it's an interesting yeah. it's an interesting discussion. Anyway, this movie uh, was up for nine Academy Awards. It won Best Picture, Best Actor for Dustin Hoffman, Best Actress in a Supporting Role for Meryl Streep. She won her first Oscar, Best Director and Best Screenplay for Robert Benton. He won two that night. It also was nominated for an additional four, Best Supporting Actor for a little Justin Henry, who is still the youngest nominee for any competitive honor in uh, Oscar history. He still has that record so he far. He was wonderful. Yeah. Uh, so good. Jane Alexander was nominated for Best Actress in a Supporting Role, so she and Meryl Streep actually faced off for the same movie. Um, and Best Cinematography and Best Film Editing were also nominated but did not win. So this was a pretty big movie. This yeah. is a pretty big deal, this movie. And, um, you know, it's a pretty iconic movie. So you saw this movie pretty early on. You saw this movie as a kid, right? I did. I did. It's my first, it was my, at least my, in, in memory, my first Meryl Streep movie. It was the first thing I ever saw her in. And um, there were a couple scenes that obviously stuck with me, like when he flopped the, the jungle gym and cuts his head open and Dustin Hoffman and the ice cream scene Yep. Um, where he doesn't want to eat dinner. And so he goes, I think, right, and he goes to get ice cream and yep. they get in a massive fight. Um, those scenes stuck with me in the very scene at the end and the scene in the park, which those are the scenes I really remembered from being young. And... Um, it was interesting to revisit, and, and I also read, there's a fantastic Vanity Fair article out there um, written by, oh, I think his name's Michael Schumann. Yep. He wrote a biography on Meryl Streep, and the Vanity Fair article talked a lot about Kramer versus Kramer and Meryl Streep's um, experience on set with Dustin Hoffman, and it's a very fascinating insight to the film. I recommend that everybody go read it. Yep. Um, um but, but for all intents and purposes, I really feel like this movie probably holds up over time um, because Meryl Streep was able to create a three-dimensional non-villainous foil for Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing performance that she gives. And, you know, she's in the beginning of the movie and then disappears for a while. And, and as we confirm with Robert Benton, they shot this movie uh, sequentially. And so um, it's not... For Justin Henry. For Justin Henry, for, for, the, for the sake of the eight-year-old who was making the movie, so he wouldn't be too confused. I kind of wonder, it's interesting because we were just talking about the Brian Singer thing and... Um, there are some questions about Justin Henry's treatment in this movie too. Not not by Robert Benton, uh, not by the director, but no. by Dustin Hoffman. 
um, which actually I'm only bringing up. It's it's one of those things. I don't want to be too gossipy about this movie because you know this is it's hard because Robert Benton was so kind and was willing to talk to us. So we don't we don't want to kind of you know negatively go about. But there is there is a lot of stuff you know said about this movie with Dustin Hoffman and the way he treated Meryl Streep. And some of the things with Justin Henry. And the reason I feel like it might be okay to talk about this is because um, when I watched the DVD special features, they talked about it. And Justin Henry talked yeah. about it. So I feel like this is not secretive stuff. I think it's pretty open stuff. Yeah. So he, Dustin Hoffman is very much, a, or at, I don't know if he still is or not. I would assume he still is. But it probably depends on the subject matter and the project to a certain degree. Uh, very method. And so he he kind of is willing to do whatever needs to be done to get the shot and to get to where, uh, to get the emotions that he wants. And apparently that includes even if it's a young kid. And so he would, uh, you know, allegedly, but maybe not allegedly, because again, they talk about it, um, do some things that I think are a little bit questionable. Uh, he, for, for instance, he would, to get Justin Henry to cry, he would, you know, on the last day of filming, point to the cameraman and say, see that guy over there? He's your friend, right? Well, you'll never see him again after today. And the problem with that is, yeah, I got Justin Henry to cry, but it also, he couldn't stop crying. He cried for three hours after that, and, and he was inconsolable. And I think the question is, is that fair to a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old who's making a movie who doesn't know any better? Um, it got... It doesn't get a say. Right. Yeah, that's a real question. And looking back on it, uh, Justin, just to kind of complete the thought, Justin Henry addressed that directly, and he he defended Dustin Hoffman, and he defended the choice that Dustin Hoffman made and said that he you know, he thought that that was probably the thing that was going to get the best performance. And so he basically said, I don't blame him for doing that. Um, so, you know, I, that's worthy of, of being pointed out that, you know, the person who this actually happened to is okay with it um, years later. But I don't know. It's, there's a lot of stuff with this movie. You know, he, Dustin Hoffman <laughs> allegedly in the first, in the, I mean, the first, filming, we, we didn't discuss this with Robert Benton at all, um, um, you know, it was the scene where Meryl Streep leaves Dustin Hoffman's the first scene of the film, and um, right before they started filming, Dustin Hoffman allegedly slapped her across the face. Right. And, um, you know, that's just one example of the thing she did. There's a scene when she comes back looking for custody, and they're sitting in a restaurant, and he slams a, a glass. Uh, against the wall, it shatters, and she wasn't prepared for it. If you watch, if you watch the film and you see the take, uh, it's very clearly the reaction of somebody who had no idea coming. Right. Well, and, I mean, you really see her kind of shut down on it. Right. And it it worked beautifully for the scene, and it's um, but it's a, I mean, it's a legitimate human response to somebody slamming a glass against the wall by your head without and, doing it in advance. Right. And Robert Benton did confirm that one. You know, he, he said yeah. he, he made reference to that in our interview with him. I think you and I, we might have talked about this briefly after we were done with Robert Benton. I kind of, you know, because you and I are both actors, I always put myself in the, you know, what would I mind, basically, if I were in Meryl Streep's shoes, what would I mind? Um, I don't know. I... I don't think I would mind that, necessarily. Um 
I'm not saying that that makes it okay, and I understand people who would mind that, because from the sounds of it, Meryl did not appreciate that, uh, the the glass slamming thing. Um, That, to me, is among his lesser offenses, maybe, um, because... Because that seemed to be like, you know, he was doing, there's there's lots of stories about those moments in film where somebody does something to get like a really authentic reaction. And I feel like as long as there's an element of safety, you know, as long as it's reasonably safe, I guess I'm, I'm not the kind of yeah, person who would get bent out of I shape. But I don't know how I would feel about somebody slapping me. I actually don't know that I would mind that either, to tell you the truth. But... Um, it sort of depends upon the, you what well and see that's fair that's what i mean is i think i think that there are different people have different feelings about that um and i don't mean to sound like i'm defending I dustin hoffman about that warning or permission yeah um you know because you can you can plan something like that could be like okay i want you to slap me before the scene starts you still have a visceral reaction to somebody slapping you just because you know it's coming right i think think you know acting is such a physical thing and it requires so much trust of your scene partner and if you don't trust them um and i guess there's an argument that there's an authenticity to her not trusting him in that moment i mean she obviously is like having a like just really negative response to him in the scene um which is probably what he was going for i just find it so invasive you know you're not asking permission to you're just fully method of acting on somebody else. Somebody else like Meryl Streep who can get it done without your help. Right. There's a lot of presumption there yep. that your acting partner can't do it without your assistance. Right. Off. Right. Oh, I agree with that statement 1000%. And the other thing I just want to point out too, because I don't want to make it sound yeah. like, like we're, I think there is a huge difference between somebody doing something in a scene and this, which happened before a scene. So I'm again, I said, I'm not sure I would mind if somebody slapped me in a scene. I would mind if somebody did that before a scene and they just said, oh, I was just doing that to get you into character. Like you say, that's not somebody else's place. There are rules about being an actor. You know, I mean, really, truly, there are rules about being an actor and what you can encourage your factors to do. Uh, you, I mean, like, you know, if you go through drama school, like, you never give notes to another actor. That's the director's job. And uh, that's, like, a physical version of giving another actor a note. That's saying, you know, I I don't know. that It is completely unacceptable to me that it was done not in a scene, that it was done to, like, get her into character. And you're exactly right, that... If there's a presumption that Meryl Streep, and I know she wasn't really proven at that point, but that doesn't change anything. Like, she got the part because she proved how good she was in that reading, you know? Um, Yeah. So you either trust that decision or you don't. Is that, you know, everything you read about this film and what went on in set, I mean, everybody's got an opinion on Dustin Hoffman's behavior and what he did and didn't do. Uh, But the truth is, like, on the record, Meryl Streep never appeared to be fazed by it. Right. She was consistently professional, showed up, got it done. Clearly, she had some understanding that that's the way he worked. Right. And uh, rose to the occasion, uh, you know, to, to, to meet him at wherever he was at. Yeah. It's fascinating to me. Yeah. I would have, there's a, there's a lot, there's a story about, um, uh, the woman who originally was in Jane Alexander's role, who who um, 
Dustin Hoffman's onset behavior just made her such a wreck. And they replaced her with Jane Alexander. I don't know if I would have developed a stammer, but I tend to shut down under that kind of aggressiveness. Oh, sure. And I, I probably would have quit delivering just out of sheer, um, sheer willfulness. Right. Because I, I'd be so angry. I think I'd have a very difficult time with it. Um, was was Robert Benton's discussion about the Ferraris and the Chevys on the record? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so if you've listened to the episode with Robert Benton, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm probably a Chevy. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, you probably would have had a good, gotten rid of me. Well, and that's not... That's not an indication of somebody's talent. It's just different, different no, ways of working. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess there are some things that don't trump being a decent human being. Right. And, and acting is one of them. You, you don't get to not be a decent human being because you're in, in like search of a character or, you know at the excuse that you're building a character. I just don't, I don't accept that. You can get there other ways. Right. I feel pretty strongly about that. But I was, I got to tell everybody, I got to fess up that I had a very brief personal interaction with Dustin Hoffman in Malibu once that was unpleasant. (laughs) And he's, you know, he's not my favorite. Yeah. I, I think there are other people who have, stories about him yeah and all that being said he's a brilliant actor i love his films he's done amazing work that's contributed to um you know uh, our 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 film library in the most amazing way um you know i just wish he could have gone about it in a little more nicer way right yeah it's uh I don't know. It almost is a, for somebody who's like, again, kind of unquestionably talented as he is, you know, he's one of the, he's one of the masters of the seventies, you know, it was him and Al Pacino and De Niro and, you know, Gene Hackman and like, you know, like they all kind of came about at the same time, these guys. And, and, um, it almost reads as, uh, insecurity, you know, when you can't, yeah. When you can't do it with all those, without all the tricks, you know, like it, just act, you know, it, you're overthinking it and it's um, just act, like do your job, you know, and uh, yeah. s- skip all the ridiculousness. Well, there's such but, a discussion right now, like women have never been able to get away with that. Right. That's very you know, point. You see actresses like Meryl Streep, Viola Davis, these women who do this, this visceral, amazing work. Kate Blanchett and and they don't they don't they don't get to stay in character as the Joker like Jared Leto on set all the time. Right. They don't get to do that because then they're called difficult. Right. Yep. And they're and called crazy. There is a double standard. Yeah, yeah, they're called crazy, difficult, high maintenance. I mean, women could just never get away with it. And so I'm coming from that perspective too. It's difficult for me difficult for me to hear stories about these these um male actors being able to do this because you know as women we're not afforded that luxury yep i think that's fair i think that's really yeah. fair yeah uh do, do you that have being said his performance in kramer versus kramer is amazing yeah it's amazing yeah every um, everybody's I mean, so you, good yeah i mean you really feel 
I think what I love about it is that, you know, he has, there are real, and a lot of this is the writing too, Robert Benton's writing, and, and I know he was highly collaborative with, with Dustin Hoffman in Natural for Dustin Hoffman, and, um, but so many of those moments, like I remember having with my parents, and no, they're not PC, and did your parent act like they should act in public? No, they absolutely did not. You know, you have everybody has those moments with their parents where it's just a knockdown, bloody drag out fight, and um, there was nothing pretty about it. You know, it wasn't packaged. It was, um, it was just all the dirty laundry out there in the open, and it still through all of that, you just know how much he loves his son. Right. Yeah, this is a, it's a hard movie. Do you have favorite scenes in this, in this film? Yes. I'm trying to think because I watched it a couple weeks ago now. I know, me too. I know. Um, my favorite scene is the pancake scene at the beginning versus the end. Okay. When he figures it, when he figures it out. It's just, it has such a nice symmetry to it and it just shows how discombobulated he is as a father. <laughs> He's trying to make these pancakes and he just, just totally screws it up and how difficult that is for a kid right you know i i can remember my mom was my mom was getting her teaching certification and so there were a couple there were a handful of times where my dad had to take care of us and i mean he was just a mess i I remember he tried to put my hair in a ponytail for school and he just couldn't do it and it's so discombobulating as a kid to not have things go according to routine right you're not really used to having in that role right <laughs> you know yeah um did that really well and then that opening scene where one street leaves yeah she's so good she's just so good yeah i mentioned How to about you well yeah no I, I mentioned to robert benton that it I love that the movie starts with that shot of her, you know, again, the movie's not, she's not in the whole thing. And yet like that first shot of her and you can just like, she doesn't have to say anything. You can just see the hell that she's in. You can see her, you know, like make the decision and second guess the decision and, and talk herself out of it and then talk herself back in. And like, you know, it's, it's just such a cool thing. I have to say, you know, it's, it's probably pretty obvious, but the courtroom scene, um, and yeah. in particular, the fact that, that Meryl really wrote that scene or rewrote it, I guess, um, from a woman's perspective, I have a couple thoughts on that. One, again, for, for Robert Benton, how, how classy of him and how, um, open, of him, you know, it takes a lot. I think, as a screenwriter, and uh, you know, a, a lack of ego to say, you know what, I wrote this, but I'm writing it too much from a man's perspective. Let's see what you can do oh, yeah. with this. That that really is a great thing. So, and the fact that she nailed it is no surprise. The other thing, which goes back to what we've been talking about with Dustin Hoffman, he he made reference of the fact that. You know, they they said to her, this is such an emotional scene, save it for your close up, you know, like, don't go all in on these shots. And he said they that every single take she delivered. And, you know, she didn't hold back even when the camera was on Dustin Hoffman when it wasn't on her. And that is the perfect response to Dustin Hoffman's antics, if you ask me to to kind of to come across and say, you know what, I'm just going to act my ass off here. And I'm going to show you what I'm capable of doing without somebody slapping me in the face. Although um, in that scene, I think this is the scene. 
Um, I guess it's before her speech, but one of the other rumors, I didn't want to ask Robert Benton uh, about this directly because again, you know, you don't, you, you never know what's cool to talk about and what's not cool to talk about. But um, one of the other things that is alleged is that Dustin Hoffman taunted her with the name of John Cazale, who was, you know, her, right. her partner who had just passed away again to get a reaction out of her. And maybe that's not true. I'm not saying that that's fact, but that's certainly out there. Um, yeah. And, uh, so again, you know, the perfect response to that is I can do this without that, you know, ridiculousness. I can just act because that's what I do and that's what I'm good at. And, you know, you can do whatever you need to do. Short little, you know, Mr. Man who needs, you know, who's feeling not so good about his own abilities perhaps, but I don't need to do that. And, um, you know, let me show you what I can do. I, I love that. I love that that was her response uh, to, to give it every single time. I think that just makes that all the all the more special. It's amazing. How, how old was she when she made this movie? Um, to be that young, because he's considerably older. Right. He was in his 40s when he made this. Right. Um, and a very well-established actor. Right. You think about those power dynamics. Yeah. Okay. And um, she was born in 1949. And this movie came out in 79. Yeah. And less than that because they would have filmed it the year before. Yeah. So 29. Right. Yeah. 29. I mean, um, and I think everybody has pretty much said this across the board. There was never a time where she wasn't a powerhouse like this. Right. So it's so short of at least, at least to to the outside of what she could do and that uh, that's just stunning to me I mean how how well do you have to know yourself and be confident in what you can do um, to go into a room with this and Hoffman and um, you know industry established artists and just nail it you know yeah it's amazing yeah it's it takes both supreme confidence in your ability and also you know again because of the situation that she was in um, with with John Cazale passing, she was probably just in a place where she she first of all just probably wanted a distraction, and also just probably there were other things that were more important to her probably at that point in her life. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this movie was probably not the thing that was you know she was probably just a little bit elsewhere too, which helped. And for Dustin Hoffman too, you know he was going through a really bad divorce. Um, so I'm sure that helped his performance yes, too. And two and two major lawsuits over um, two films. Um, he was in two lawsuits with the studio. He and several other artists had contracted with the studio to have some creative control over these two films, and it ended up being taken away from them. And he was in the he was in the middle of that. Um, uh, one of them was Agatha, and I can't remember the name of the other film. And so, yeah, he had a lot going on personally uh, as well. And, um, you know, he's also responsible for why Meryl Streep is cast. Right. Robert, according to Robert Benton, that first meeting, he thought it was quite awful. And Dustin Hoffman was insistent that Meryl Streep was Joanna. So um, he obviously knew. Yeah, although I have to say, I know this is being real picky. Um, it bothers me a she's little bit. She's got a different, a completely different version of how that went down. Really? What is her version? So she claims she went into the audition and basically told them that Joanna was a two-dimensional character 
and explain to them what how Joanna needed to be. Oh, okay. She claims that was their first meeting. Robert Benton claims that it was a terrible audition and Dustin Hoffman insisted on casting her. Hmm. And he doesn't remember any of that. Hmm. Interesting. I have to say, it bugs me a little bit um, that he seems to relish almost as though he's taking credit for the fact that she has a career, um, if that makes sense. Um, (laughs) He may have been responsible for her casting. I I tend to agree that it's, it had at least something to do with his okay. Um, But yeah, there's something about that, that I just don't love the idea that he's, uh, you know, and he hasn't been all that he's not like going crazy with that idea. I think everybody knows that she would have, she would have found her way, you know, with or without him. But I don't know. There's just a little right. bit of that kind of. I don't. I don't know. Um, I think it's very interesting that the two of them have never made another movie together again. They never, you know, whenever Meryl Streep is honored, he's usually not one of the ones honoring her. You know, like he's not usually there. Um, and I know that there. It's been pretty public that they, on both sides there was some not great feelings, and there were rumors that she would. She said she would never work with him again, and things like that. And um, so I don't know. It, it just is. It's hard when somebody who's kind of been, yeah, you know, yeah, essential in in helping you land this movie that was really an important movie, but also he did not give her her career. You know, he gave her, he helped land her a role and it's what she did with it that, that gave her the career, not what he did for her. Um, so I don't know. It is what it is, but I feel like we could talk about Kramer versus Kramer forever. But, um, yeah, this is sitting, sitting high on the list. So we had talked last time about uh, our lists, our, our top lists, and how we're going to divide them up into two lists now. Um, yeah. I think this was on both of our top five lists. Um, this was before we oh, each yeah. had two lists. So first question is, is it staying there for you? Yes, I think so. I, I, I've got to be honest, I, hadn't, I haven't really thought about where I'd put it on the list before we're talking today, which I normally do. I, I, I give it some thought, and I'm not looking at the list of films that we've watched to date. Oh, okay. But I think it's definitely it's definitely in my starter pack for sure. Okay. And I'm gonna say yes, it's still in my top five. She doesn't have a lot of screen time, but what screen time she has is so powerful. And um, that character could have so easily been two dimensional, and it's so touching, and has really stood the test of time. I think, in large part, just because of her okay. and what she did with it. And I, I think more so than some of her other performances, I really felt her pain in this. I just really, I mean, I've never, I've, I've never been married. I don't have kids, and I still, I felt, I, I felt her pain at the beginning, and when she comes back, that sense of trying to find yourself and not, you know, feeling so desperate that you just have to escape, and then coming back and trying to own your mistakes and wanting to be there for your kid. You know, you just feel it all. It's very palpable. I think it's an amazing performance. It is. That's very well said. Yeah, that's nice. Um, yeah, do is you want... Is it in your top five? 
It is. And in fact, I, I do have my list. I, I wrote out both lists. I will admit that I just did this. I remembered like five minutes before our phone call here. So I just kind of did it quickly. But I'm willing to read both my lists this time. And if you want to do yours next time, that might be that might be good because that way we're not just doing a whole bunch of lists here too. That That's kind of nice to break it up. Um, so I have my performances list and then movie list. Uh, so for performances, this is my list so far. I'm going to go from top to bottom. Postcards from the Edge. I know some people will disagree with that being number one, but hey, we're each entitled to our own opinion. Uh, the Hours, uh, The Hours 2, Devil Wears Prada 3, Adaptation 4, and Kramer versus Kramer 5. I have this after Adaptation, which again might be controversial, but um, there's just more of her in Adaptation, and she's just so loose in Adaptation too. Uh, continuing on after number five, uh, Florence Foster Jenkins, Out of Africa, Deer Hunter, Heartburn, Before and After, She Devil, and Holmesman bringing up the rear. Uh, so we've got 12 movies that we've done so far. And then my, in terms of uh, the actual movies themselves, not the performance, mm-hmm. I have The Hours first, and then Kramer versus Kramer. I have Kramer versus Kramer number two in the overall movie. Okay. Uh, then Adaptation, Out of Africa, uh, Deer Hunter and Postcards from the Edge at number six. So I think that's kind of interesting. I have it as my favorite performance in number six in terms of overall best movie. Um, yeah. Continuing Devil Wears Prada, then Florence Foster Jenkins, Heartburn, She Devil, Homesman, and then Bringing Up the Rear in the overall movie is Before and After. So um, yeah, those are my lists. Cool. So I don't know if I, anybody. I think mine are substantially similar. A little bit in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Most most of these are, uh, yeah. They're, they're, my lists are relatively substan or you know, like relatively close to each other, with the exception of postcards from the edge, actually. Um, but it'll be yeah. interesting to see where yours end up landing. But yeah, this is in top five in both categories for me. It's top. It's number five performance and number two overall movie out of the movies that we've watched. We still have a bunch to get through, but. Um, yeah, and for me, obviously, it would go in the 10-film starter pack thing that we have talked about, too. I think it's pretty essential there. I think you have to put all three Oscar movies in that 10-film starter pack. Yeah. You know, I mean, you kind of have to. Oh, yeah. So. so Agreed. Cool. All right, you ready to move on? Any other final thoughts on Kramer versus Kramer, or should we get to our last segments? Let's get to our last segments. Everybody watch Kramer versus Kramer. It's totally worth it. It's so good. Thank you again, Robert Benton. I have no idea if you'll be listening to yeah. this or not, but that was just so cool. Uh, really exciting. That was one that I was really surprised that we got a yes on that one, but really uh, happy that we did. Um, okay, yeah. so which would you rather do first, Six Degrees or movies Meryl was almost in? Let's do Six Degrees. Six Degrees. Okay, so last time we did Brie Larson, the fantastic Brie Larson. So did you did you think of any? I did. They're not. They're. They're not a quick leap. But she. I just. I recently watched a film called. I think it's. Is it Free Fire? Oh. Okay. Uh, yeah. Free Larson and Army Hammer and Charlotte Cop. Charlotte Copley, and he was in the A Team with Liam Neeson, who did Before and After with Meryl Streep. Okay, that's a good one. <laughs> that's, that's that's the way I got. How about you? Mine was the. It's funny because it actually goes in 
complete opposition to what I said last time because I said we were talking about well there was nothing that leaped to mind and I said you know I just saw her in, in the new King Kong movie but there's nobody in that that she worked with because that was John Goodman and Samuel L. Jackson and I don't know why I blanked on the fact that John C. Riley is also in that movie and he was in The Hours with oh. Meryl Streep so John C. Riley oh, is in the new King that. Kong movie so that was one I only remember that because King Kong was playing on the plane so I got to watch it again and I went well there's John C. Riley, of course and actually John C. Riley might be the best thing about the new King Kong movie too so I have no idea how, how or why it? the new one well I saw it in the theater a few months ago um, it was good you know oh, yeah it was entertaining yeah it's entertaining you know i i don't know that's not maybe my favorite genre of movies um but right. i i liked it i wouldn't okay. say i loved it and i wish brie larson had more to do in it it's kind of a she's a little her talents are a little bit wasted it's not that she's not good it's just that Shocking. she's too good for the material really it's just too underdeveloped a, a character i think but um yeah Anyway, what was your other one that you were going to say? She also did The Spectacular Now with yeah. uh, Shailene Woodley. Yeah, that's true. Who um, has, you know, I think several connections. But the one that came to mind was, although it's television, is Big Little Lies. Right. Nicole Kidman. Right. And The Hours. And then, uh, you know, I think she's got, she's got to have other connections as well. Right. Has George Clooney, George Clooney and Meryl Streep in the film together? Well, not technically, but they did do... They're, they're both voices for the Fantastic oh, Mr. Mr. Fox. Fox. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So there's a connection there. Yeah. I feel like... Because she was also in, like, The Gambler, you know, that Mark Wahlberg movie. I feel uh, like, you know, somewhere... Oh, with, she? Yeah, it's not much of a role again, but... Um, yeah, you know, for somebody who's just so good like Brie Larson it's a shame that even after her Oscar win like a lot of the stuff that she's been doing is like you know kind of smaller supporting it's she should be getting the leads in major major movies but I don't know hopefully it's it's not because she's not getting offers hopefully it's she's just doing stuff that she's busy doing Captain Marvel yeah that's true hey speaking of do you think Meryl Streep will ever do one of those superhero movies Meryl Streep Mm mm-hmm Oh, you know, I wouldn't discount it. I you just never know with you just never know with Meryl. I think if she likes the material, she'd go for it. I don't think it would stop her. I don't know if she'd sign, you know, a several year contract with Marvel. Right. Um, but I, you know, I can see, you know, if you look trailer for for the new Thor movie, it looks thoroughly entertaining, and those actors as an ensemble, look like they are having a really good time. Right. And um, I think it's all about the material, but I don't think it's impossible. Right. I mean, you have some stellar Oscar-winning actors doing that kind of stuff. Right. Redford's done at least one of those now. Anthony Hopkins has. You know, I like that they're getting real great actors the the reason I asked was another of the plane movies was Wonder Woman and you know Robin Wright was pretty pretty strongly featured in that and I kind of found myself going there's no way like for the Wonder Woman sequel that they didn't at least ask Meryl Streep right I mean like you know right you would hope they should have because God I mean why wouldn't you want Meryl Streep in the Wonder Woman movie I mean really truly why wouldn't you want that to happen so it would be amazing so I kind of, I, I'm not sure that she would do just any superhero movie, but I feel like the Wonder Woman franchise, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. It's possible. If it's good material, I wouldn't put anything past her. 
Yeah. It feels like I can't be the first person who's had this idea. And also, let me be clear, I'm not a huge fan of those movies. So I'm not like chomping at the bit for this to happen. I just think it 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 kind of makes sense to me for whatever reason. Because again, it feels like these are the movies that are being made constantly right now. And they're hugely popular. And she's, you know, Meryl Streep. So I would think that they would be on it. But who knows? Maybe I'm way off on this. But um, okay, so then we have the movies Meryl was almost in. Uh, I went with the one that I've actually not seen before, um, and there's not much of a connection to Kramer versus Kramer. It's a it's a role that Sally Field took, and I thought of it because Robert Benton mentioned Sally Field a few times. He he talked about the uh-huh. great great actors and actresses that he has worked with, and he always included her in that list of people. Uh, he directed her in Places in the Heart. Uh, which I think he also won a direct, uh, uh, an Oscar for writing too. But anyway, so yeah. she she was in a movie in 1977 called Heroes. I don't know that movie. Um, it was with her and Henry Winkler and uh, Harrison Ford. And apparently uh, Meryl Streep was considered for that role, but um, Sally Field got it. So that's that. Interesting. Yeah. So, cool. Well, I think we already kind of dropped the the nugget that we were doing uh, still of the night next. Is that still true, Meryl? You still good with that? Yes. Okay, cool. Definitely. So we'll do uh, both Robert Benton movies. Still of the Night is a really interesting one. I'm, I'm excited to revisit it. It's, uh, it's like no other movie in Meryl Streep's filmography, really. So um, have you seen that ever before? Yes. Well, I watched it for this. Oh, okay. Um, and I agree with you. It's fascinating yes so we will get to it and uh we look forward to being back so uh thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you next time thanks everyone the nominees for the outstanding performance by an actress in a supporting role are jane alexander in kramer versus kramer barbara berry in breaking away Candice Bergen in Starting Over. Marielle Hemingway in Manhattan. And Meryl Streep in Kramer vs. Kramer. And the winner is... Thank you, my dear. Welcome, my dear. Meryl Streep in Kramer vs. Kramer. Holy mackerel. Uh, I'd like to thank... Dustin Hoffman and Robert Benton, to whom I owe this. Stanley Jaffe for giving me the chance to play Joanna. And Jane, Alexander, and Justin for the love and support during this very, very delightful experience. Thank you very much. That's all.